And so a lot to be thankful, but not out of the woods totally. And so continue to pray for him. If you don't, um, if you weren't aware of this, we sent out an email, but Ann Ailywine, Danny's mother, passed away uh, this week. The funeral is Monday uh, outside of Wake. It's going to be at the Crestview Church of Christ. Um, and it's just been a really difficult time. I don't know if you're aware of it, but the night of visitation, the night before Danny's funeral, Anne had fallen and broke her hip at the visitation, and it's just been uh, downhill since then. And uh, she did, you know, the Lord gave her some respite. She woke up and was able to visit with her daughter and um, the the uh, day before, that morning she passed away, that next morning, and just was bright-eyed and was able to, uh, God gave her some time with her daughter, and she shared with her everything that was important to her and what she wanted done, but just continue to keep them in your prayers, and then uh, Alden, what's the latest on uh, Alden, Marita, he just, they're continuing to treat him, and Amen. 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 So, and we do, you know, I, obviously we have an election this year and, and uh, you know, we live in, I don't know how you'd classify them, but maybe contentious. We live in very contentious times in the middle of a global pandemic as well. So we have much to pray for and, and uh, so, but we also have much to be thankful for. There truly is much to be thankful for. I want to ask that you uh, open your Bibles to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. We're going to continue our uh, study. Really, this started a couple of months ago, referencing the passage that Jesus speaks about himself, Revelation chapter 1, verse 8, where he says, I am the Almighty. And then the reference point is that he's the judge and savior of all men. And then moving forward, our teaching on salvation. Salvation. And the premise, the biblical foundation, is that God saves through Christ alone, uh, by grace alone, and through faith alone. And with the section that I'm working through right now is, is that section that God saves. And, uh, but in the sixth chapter um, in the book of John, I'm going to be reading verse 26 and 27. Now, what had just taken place, if you're familiar with this section of the gospel, uh, Jesus had just fed 5,000. What a great story. Happens twice in his ministry, but uh, he, he is fed 5,000. He walks on water. He walks on water. And then in John uh, 6, beginning of verse 26, we read, Jesus answered them. These are the uh, people that have come to the other side of the sea. They, they want to they see him. And he said, truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs. That's not why you're seeking me. Uh, not because you saw signs, but because you ate the loaves, the bread, and were filled. Do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man shall give to you. For on him the Father, even God, has set his seal. It's a great teaching section that moves forward from there. Uh, in the handout that I gave you along with your bulletin, this, this, the biblical truth of God's saving, uh, there's three verses. I, 
I want to read the second one, 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 13. I put these in this handout so you wouldn't have to. We've just got them. We've got them right here. The Apostle Paul writing the Corinthians. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10, verses, and this will be the title of this sermon as well, verse 1 through 13. For I do not want you to be unaware. Writing to the Christians in Corinth, he says, I don't want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers... We're all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink for they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them and the rock was Christ. You can read about it, book of Exodus, book of Numbers. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased. God's people. He was not, in fact, most of them God was not well pleased, for they were laid low in the wilderness. Now these things happen as an example for us. I don't want you to be unaware, brethren. And these things happen as an example for us. That was true then, it's true today. That we should not crave evil things as they also craved. And do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. Um, nor let us act immorally as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in one day. Nor let us try the Lord as some of them did and were destroyed by the serpents. Nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example. And they were written for our instruction. Don't be unaware. These things happened as an example. These things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction. Upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. And then 2 Corinthians verse 13, 5 says, test yourselves. And it's interesting. I didn't visit with Don this week about what he was going to say, the word test. Test yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Examine yourselves, or do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Indeed, unless indeed you fail the test. Unless you should examine yourself, test yourself, recognize this about yourself, that Christ Jesus, Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail the test. And then, again, to the top of this handout, John 6, 43 through 45, God saves. God saves. How does he save? How does God save? How does God save? According to Jesus. John 6, 43 through 45, Jesus answered and said to them, Do not grumble. Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. You cannot. We cannot. No one can. There's not a, a living soul that has ever been formed that can come to Jesus Christ unless the Father draws him. Can't do it. And I'll raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall be taught of God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Now, you can read that uh, reference there about being taught by God out of Isaiah 54. I just want to say to you, if you look at all three of those passages, they all had something in common. If you were alive 2,000 years ago and you had seen Jesus, if you'd been a part of that crowd that had been fed, if you were aware that he walked on water, uh, if you were alive and Paul wrote this, if you were a Corinthian that was now a Christian um, and you read what he said, here's one thing you would have known, that all of these things were, in, they were just, it, they were tied together. They were married together. 
when what happened in the sixth chapter of John, and Jesus is talking about the bread, the manna that comes from heaven, Paul is referencing that at least part of that point in history to the Corinthians, and then this whole idea of test yourself, grumbling, don't be grumbling, being drawn to God, being taught by God, or being drawn to Jesus by God, and then being taught, they're all tied together. Now, real quickly, examine yourself, test yourself. When you look at these events, here's what we know, and we know this. 2,000 years ago, whether you were in the presence of Jesus and he spoke of these things, or you were a first century church where Paul would write about these things as an example uh, to teach us, um, instruct us, you would have been, all of you would have been familiar with the events of the Exodus. You, you would have. You really would have. Uh, much of the teaching that was done in the New Testament church uh, revolved around Moses, the children of Israel, the Exodus, their slavery, their crying out to God, the events that took place. Um, I had mentioned several months ago that when you go through Scripture, uh, you can see Christ is everywhere. Genesis through Revelation, the story of Christ is everywhere. Exodus, where do you see him? We just read, he was in fact the rock. Christ was the rock. Christ was the manna that came from heaven. Christ would be the Passover lamb that uh, the children of Israel knew to slay that lamb and put that blood above their doorpost. And that's just a few references, okay? And so, but I want to focus on two things this morning. Being drawn to God and being taught by God. And then the problems that God's people can encounter as God draws us to him and we are taught by God and the test that is associated with that. God does in fact, he does not tempt us, but he does in fact test us. There is a theme and it's not just a theme, it's a biblical reality that, that was a plague. It literally was a plague. Um, not a disease, physical disease, a different kind of plague that haunted God's people in the desert. It haunted God's people in the first century church, and it haunts us today, 2,000 years later. But I'm going to do what Jesus did, what Paul did. we we'll go to Exodus 14, uh, the 14th chapter of Exodus, verse 10 to 14. And, and this is, remember, the children of Israel have left. They've, got, they've been freed. They're leaving. And if you remember the story, when they leave, what, what do the Egyptians do? They even supply their needs. They give them their gold, their jewelry, their household goods. They're leaving. Something that would have been previously a year earlier, the Jews would have never thought that anything like this could ever happen. They would have never thought that there would be a day when, when they would be able to leave Egypt freely, no longer slaves, and then not only that, but the people of th these Egyptians would give them great wealth, household goods, jewels, provisions. They would have never imagined that. Would have never, if you'd ask anybody in that mass of people, that population, the Israelites, God's people, could you imagine a day that you would walk out of Egypt the way that that was happening? I don't believe anybody would have said, no, I, I would hope for that, but I couldn't imagine that. There's no scenario that I could have imagined that. So you go to Exodus 14, verse 10 to 14, and it says, and as Pharaoh drew near, the sons of Israel looked, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they became very frightened. Very frightened. 
And so the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord. Then they said to Moses, is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt with us in this way, bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not the word that we spoke to you in Egypt saying, leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? Now, just stop right there. Uh, obviously, there was a point as Moses was fighting, presenting himself before Pharaoh and saying, let my people go. There was a point as, as all of the plagues that would ensue, um, that dramatic time in history. I'm sure some of the Egyptians did, or some of the Israelites said to, uh, to Moses, I, I mean, I'm sure there must have been, so you know what, just leave us, let, uh, listen, we'd rather stay here and be slaves. Now that's sad, but I'm sure it happened. But we do know from the biblical record that they had cried out to God and God heard their crying and he did in fact send them a redeemer. So you got, it's, here's the lesson. Fear will do funny things to us, won't it? Fear will cause us to rewrite history. Fear will cause us to certainly draw inward, become very selfish. Uh, fear will cause us to accuse, to become very accusatory, complainers, grumblers. And so what does Moses say? Do not fear. Stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you've seen today, you'll never see them again forever. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. Now you go back to that John 6 passage. Now listen, 2,000 years ago, you're listening to Jesus speak. He's just fed 5,000. He's walked on water. You're wanting to see him. He's already said, you didn't you're not coming to me to see him. So you came because your bellies are full. And then, but he says at the end of this, uh, this uh, conversation with these people in John 6, he says, Jesus answered said to them, do not grumble. Do not grumble. We live in a world today, we've got a global pandemic. And people are frightened. And people have a lot of opinions about it. But what about you and I, church? I'm talking about the church, God's people. The Israelites, the fact Paul would write, there's no longer Jew or Gentile to the Galatians. We're just one in Christ. We're the new Israel. We're the new Jerusalem. We're God's people. Okay? So, but here's, here's what this grumbling does. But it's not even the worst. But we're going to get to the worst. It's a virus. It's a virus. We can't see this COVID. We can't see it. We can see the results of it at some level. Um, it can be tested, but we can't see it. The, the first thing that happens with this fear, and they're married together, he says, don't grumble, because he sees what grumbling will do. We become frightened. And when we're frightened, what do we do? Fear and grumbling and complaining are married. They're just wed together. They really are. You look at any, any community of people, and you find out who the grumblers and complainers are. And if you really begin to listen to them, 
what happens? Two things. It's contagious. Number one, it's contagious. It's a lot easier to be a grumbler and a complainer than to live by faith. Doesn't require a lot of effort to be a grumbler and a complainer. It's motivated by fear. Fear begets the grumbling and complaining. Grumbling and complaining begets the fear. And so you see it. So Jesus said, don't, don't grumble. Don't you listen. He's talking about how God saves. But didn't you see in the Israelites, so they, 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 they've seen Pharaoh, but what else had they seen? They had seen something that no one else had ever seen. They had witnessed things that no one in humanity had ever seen. They had seen the, the, the Nile turn blood red. They'd seen the plague of the frogs. They'd seen the plagues of the locusts. They'd seen disease and boils. They'd seen, and yet here they were. They're looking back over the shoulder, and they see Pharaoh coming, and they're frightened. They're frightened. And the lesson, the lesson being taught by God, it's Christ that draws us to him. The lesson of this deal is that the Lord will fight for you do not fear, stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, which he'll accomplish for you today. Now, we just did the Lord's Supper. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. I mean, thy will be done. It's a prayer. It's not a guess. It's an affirmation. And what does he say? Give us this day our daily bread. God knows from the temporal, the flesh, the earthly, but he knows the spiritual. And how many of you, as you test yourself, Testing yourself. I'm in Christ Jesus. Life is a test. It is literally a test. It's an ongoing test in which God is engaged. Well, you can see your life that way or you can just miss it. But when you begin to look at this, what do you see? There's this picture that unfolds throughout the centuries in the events of God's people in their lives. And he says to himself, listen, here's what you need to know. Rather than being frightened, do not fear. You and I should be testing ourselves daily with the eyes that see, that says, I, want to, I can see, I know I will see, I believe I'm going to see. Job said it. He said, I know in the midst of all of suffering, I know that my Redeemer lives and I'll see him. I will see him. And, and if there's anything that this lost world needs to see from the body of Christ is people that are living, being taught by God with the reality is that I stand by daily. I stand by to see the salvation of my marriage. I stand by to see the salvation of my own life. I stand by to see the salvation of whatever the circumstances are in my life. I refuse to live in fear. But here's what it is. Now listen to this. And I had a great discussion with Julius in the youth group this morning. He says, the Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. Now isn't that interesting? He said, the Lord will fight for you and he didn't stop there while you keep silent. I want you to think of Jesus. He goes before Pontius Pilate. He's on trial for his life. He's prayed in the garden, Father, take this cup from me. Not my will, but your will be done. And he fulfills the scripture in Isaiah 53. Though he was brought before his accusers, he remained silent. He remained silent, being taught by God, testing ourselves, God drawing us to his son, being taught by God, keep silent. Grumblers, complainers, the frightened, they can never keep silent. 
Did you ever think about that? That faith is the exercise of keeping silent? Did you ever think about that? The conversation, not only the verbal conversation we have, but the conversations we have in our head, they're ongoing. How much of them are on the basis of fear, which becomes angry? These people are angry. And then accusations, false accusations, accusations that have a shred of truth in them, but not completely true. And the lesson being taught by God is that don't fear. Stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, which he'll accomplish for you. For you. We have an advocate who's fighting on behalf of you and I. We don't have to be afraid. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. Exodus 15, 22 through 26. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea and they went out in the wilderness of Shur and they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. And when they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah for they were bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. So the people grumbled at Moses. This is the pandemic. This is the pandemic of the children of Israel. They're grumbling and complaining. By the way, when you go back and read that 1 Corinthians 6, uh, 1 through 13, I asked the kids on Wednesday night. I said, uh, tell me where you, what the big sins are. Give me the big list, the big sin. You know, and they said murder, and, you know, I had all the list of the big sins. And, and I said to them, well, what about grumbling and complaining? Now, I want you to think of virus and pandemic. Now, when you read 1 Corinthians 10, there are three sins that are lumped together. There's three. There's idolatry, immorality, and grumbling. All of it had to do with this history, this history with the children of Israel in, in, in the desert. But then it had to do with the first century church, and it's true today. We don't think of grumbling and complaining. You would never think of grumbling and complaining uh, like you would idolatry, worshiping something other than God. Worshipping your money, worshipping whatever it is, worshipping a false god. That's a big deal. Oh, you wouldn't want to do that. Immorality. Boy, you can go back and read in Numbers. He's talking about immorality. It was a sexual immorality. The, the children of Israel were now uh, having intimate relationships with foreign women, inviting them into their camps, and then following their gods. That's a big one. That'd be a big one. He told them, don't do that. Don't you, don't you. Boy, you saw what it did to Solomon. They didn't, but you can read about it in Scripture. They, they were sexually immoral. They were idolaters. Those are some biggies. And they were grumblers. Right there. They were grumblers. And what, what did they do with the grumblers? Oh, wow. Nor let us try the Lord, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the serpents. Nor grumble, as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. But we don't think of that, do we? It's just a lot easier. You know, grumbling, it's like a virus. It's contagious. We were, uh, we went on vacation. We stopped at different places. We stopped in a diner, and, and uh, you just these small diners, Lamar, Colorado, and the farmers would be gathered around. You know, there was a group of them. And you just listen. They were complaining. Every little town I've ever been in, every situation, but it can be families, it could be a church. 
It could be a business. It could be I talked to Julius. I said one of the things watching high school football, it brought back those memories. You watch film on Saturday, the game you played, then you start watching. And we had a, a great coach, Jacob Smith, and he would point out. And you could just, if you watch a film, you can always find a grumbler and a complainer on a team. You can watch. There's the grumbler. There's the complainer. And then they start grumbling and complaining about the coach. The parents grumble and complain. The kids grumble and complain. And then, but if you can find that point in the tape, and I would show them, look, here, they're grumbling. They're complaining. And you know what? 100% of the time, 100% of the time, they'd lose. And Jacob used to come up to the course of the game, and he'd say, coach, game's over. They're grumbling and complaining over there. You see the grumbler, and it's one guy. Maybe it's one guy. Maybe he could be a star athlete. Things aren't going his way. He starts to grumble and complain. Now, Julius will tell you that happened Friday night right out here in Normandy. You see it everywhere. You can see it in the sports field. You can see it in churches. You can see it in businesses. You can see it in family. The grumbling and complaining. The sin of grumbling and complaining is what? Here's what it is. This is why it's such a dangerous sin. Number one, it's kind of inconspicuous because we really don't think of it as that bad. Everybody grumbles and complains, but here's what it is. You know what it is? You know what the sin is? It's the sin of unbelief. It's the sin of unbelief. When we grumble and complain, it is the sin of unbelief. We don't believe. We really don't believe that God can get me out of this situation. We don't believe we don't believe the circumstances. Think about the Apostle Paul in prison. Old man, probably got rheumatoid arthritis. His vision's gone. He's illegally been accused and held. His rights as a Roman citizen are being violated. He said, I've learned the secret to be content in every situation. The gospel's being progressed. He didn't grumble, he didn't complain. People were being, even the members of the Praetorian Guard were being converted. He wasn't living by fear. He wasn't grumbling. He wasn't complaining. But conversely, you can see the opposite of that. And you can. And so it's unbelief. Grumbling and complaining is the sin of unbelief. We don't believe that we're going to see the salvation of the Lord. We don't believe that God is going to fight for me while I keep silent. So Exodus 15, 22 through 26. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea. They went out of the wilderness of Shur. They did all this. He said he tested them down there. He said, but let's go. He said, they're in this, they don't have any water. They come to Marah. They could not drink the water of Marah for they were bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. So the people grumbled at Moses saying, what shall we drink? Then he cried out to the Lord. The Lord showed him a tree. He threw it in the waters and the waters became sweet. There he made for them a statute and regulation. And there he tested them. The Hebrew word is he proved them. It's like the, you go out to a proving ground. God tests us. He was proving. He was testing people. It was a proving ground. Do you see your life as a proving ground? Or do you just see it because grumbling does something else? Not only is it live in fear, not only is it the sin of unbelief, not only does it become accusatory, not only is it like a virus, it's contagious, but it's very selfish. Going back to the sports analogy, you find the grumblers and complainers will always be the most selfish people you know. They really will. They are 100% of the time. And so what's happening here in this viral, contagious, fearful, now they're all just grumbling and complaining in spite of everything they've seen, 
Here they are, and so God tested them. And he said, here's God teaching us, if you give earnest heed to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight and give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I'll put none of the diseases on which you, uh, on you, uh, which I put in the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your, healing, your healer. Yeah, I'm going to tell you, you want healing in your life, spiritual healing in your life, and I even believe physical, I do, according to God's will. You want, you want a healthy church? You want a healthy marriage? You, want to, you, you don't want to live in fear? You want, a, you want a healthy spiritual life? Test yourself, because the Lord's testing you. And then ask yourself, am I giving earnest heed to the voice of, of the Lord, my God? You're giving, you and I are giving heed. Our ears are listening to some voice. You're giving earnest heed to some voice. You are. Everyone here is. Maybe it's Donald Trump. Maybe it's Joe Biden. Maybe it's, I don't know. But everybody here is giving heed to a voice. And it's either frightening us. I don't know who's going to win the election. I, I, I'll post political things on social media. You know, Jesus Christ only made one comment about Caesar, and he, it was, had to do with taxes. He said, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. If you were alive 2,000 years ago in Palestine and Jerusalem, probably less than 10% of the world population even knew where Jerusalem was, civilized world. It was a backwater place. It just was. Pontius Pilate was disgraced to be the governor there. So you had to send somebody. wasn't very highly thought of. And Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, with a dozen, a dozen unlikely individuals, changed the course of all the history of all humanity in a backwater place. And he wasn't worried about who Caesar was. He wasn't worried about what the Senate in Rome was doing. Just wasn't worried about it. I don't know what's going to happen this election. We're heeding, our ears are heeding a lot of voices, aren't we? If you give earnest heed to the voice of the Lord your God. I'm going to ask you something. How much time in your day are you giving earnest heed to the voice of the Lord your God? Are you giving heed? And you know, here's the problem. We give heed to a lot of voices that we shouldn't. But you know what Pogo said during World War II? Donnie said, I've seen the enemy and the enemy is us. Probably the worst voice that we can listen to is ours, my voice, you know, that internal voice. If it's not aligned with the voice of God, it, what is it? So we'll listen to anybody and everybody and we'll be frightened, and, 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 but we will not heed the voice of the Lord our God. And then the second thing is do what's right in his sight. If you're listening to the wrong voice, you're going to be afraid, you're going to be angry, you're going to accuse, you're going to grumble, you're going to complain, you're going to be viral, you're going to attract other people. And here's what the other thing, you're going to do what is right in your sight, but not in his sight. I want you to consider that. The voice that you listen to, that you heed, if it's associated with grumbling and complaining, and fear, 
and heeding all the voices that are associated with that, you're not only not will you listen to the voice of the Lord your God, but you will never do what is right in his sight. You'll do what's right in your sight. And it's the trouble in every marriage, but I'm talking about between Christians. Every faith community, every church, there's grumblers, there's complainers. It can be viral, it can be contagious. It's always run up from the position of selfishness and fear. Well, they won't hear churches. Read it. The seven messages of Jesus stays in mind. He says, I'm going to take your lampstand. You know what the problem with all those churches was? They were not heeding the voice of the Lord. There was all kinds of things that were going on that had to do with fear and accusations and grumbling and complaining. Nothing has changed. But if you'll hear his voice, do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes. You learn something. No matter what's happening in the rest of the world, you got something different. You have a healer. You have a healer. I was so proud of Don and Patsy and everything that they've had to endure the last almost two months now, and it's been over a month. And as difficult as that was for you, and then you mentioned it this morning, I know you were listening to the voice of the Lord. You were heeding his commandments. And you found something that you already knew is that he was your healer. I don't have time to go through the rest of these verses, but you ought to read them. It says, they grumbled against Moses and said, they grumbled. Why they grumbled. And the whole congregation of the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the rabble who were among them had greedy desires. There's another part of the viral infliction of grumbling and complaining. There's always rabble who have greedy, selfish desires. And then, you know, if you read that Numbers 11, 1 through 6, there's nothing at all to look at except this manna. There's another thing with grumblers and complainers. There's never enough. There's never enough. Can't be satisfied. Never enough gratitude. It's all right there. That was the plague. That was the virus. Why did we ever leave Egypt? Hmm. There's so many lessons to learn here. I, I had asked these questions on the back. I, I just want you to consider something. Here's the single biggest problem with being a grumbler and complainer. Number one, those are the symptoms. Fear, accusations, the contagiousness of it, the selfishness of it. But here's the number one problem with grumbling and complaining. This is why it's such a terrible sin, the sin of disbelief. You cannot be taught by God. What did Jesus say? John 6, he said, don't grumble. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. I'll raise him up on the last day. It's written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. There it is. We're in every soul in here is in a direction right now. You, all of us are heading in a direction. If you test yourself, you ought to ask yourself, what's the direction in my heading? Am I heading towards Christ? 
Am, 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 I, am I coming to the Father? Am I coming to the Lord? Or is my direction somewhere else? Well, the test, is, the test has already been written. The test is really clear. Either you're heeding his voice, listening or heeding dead, or you're listening to another voice. Either you're living by faith or you're living by fear. The sin of disbelief and the cancer, the contagion that is with it, is the grumbling, the complaining, and everything associated with it. It was true then, it's true now, but here's the single biggest problem. And I've seen it in all my years of ministry. Grumblers and complainers are never taught by God. They never, they're not. Do you know what happened to this generation at the end of 40 years? There was a generation that got to go into the promised land. But the older generation didn't get to go. Remember what he said about unless indeed you fail the test? You can get mad, you can get angry, you can just continue to live in that because I will tell you something. I have seen alcoholics and drug addicts struggle with their sin coming and having freedom from that sin. I've seen adulterers. I've seen people that have struggled with pornography. I've seen people that have struggled with sins that I have seen. 30 years of prison ministry. Ministry in church where God has uh, freed someone. Just broken those. You know the ones that, and, the, and they're everywhere. I'm talking about Christians. I can just tell you, testimony after testimony, the grumblers and complainers. I think it's a sin of disbelief. It's a sin that's because of my disbelief. I'm afraid. I'm selfish. I'm accusatory. I, I, I have to have things my way. I, I, nothing's ever good enough. There's never enough. How could you be taught by God? And if you can't be taught by God, how could you be drawn to him? I've seen the alcoholic and the drug addict, the prostitute, the thief. I've seen them drawn to God, being taught by God. And so I, this is a test for all of us, I, because we live in a time where the world is watching. And either you're being drawn to Jesus through the Father and being taught by him, or you're not. And the truth is, here's the deal. There's a terrible price to pay. A price that you wouldn't want your worst enemy to have to pay. There's a terrible price to pay. And it's a price you wouldn't want your worst enemy. God draws us. He teaches us. Here's the lesson that Jesus taught, and here's the lesson from God's word. Was Jesus a grumbler and complainer? No, ma'am. No, sir. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the opportunity this morning to have fellowship together, to uh, we live in trouble sometimes in these difficult times. And Father, you and I, I know that our relationship with you, you have called us to be salt and light and sweet aroma. 
I believe you are winnowing. I believe the winnowing blade is very clearly being drawn. I believe the weeds are being separated from the tares. And so, Father, help us. Help us to be taught by you. Help us to overcome any burden in our life that separates us from you and, and from each other and from the lost, Father. Help us to carry out your mission by faith and not fear. We love you. We need you, Father. And it's in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.